clinic, substance abuse clinic. What? Yeah, uh, over on Sheridan Road. Is there anything that you don't do? <laughs> I don't steal no more. Oh my God, you're funny. I don't have to. Look, the biggest podcast where you can learn them lessons. Line for line where you can learn from different sections. Made it out the mud, come tell your story, blessings. Never know who listening, never know who's stressing. Devon gave you a voice, come speak your honest truth. Line for line, go ball for ball, it's up to you. Wanna talk sports, gov, and politics? Wanna talk about where you from and your accomplishments? The line for line is really where you need to be. A platform that's really made for folks like you and me. You can find it all no matter what you seek. Whether you calling or you listening, tune in every week. All right, just like that, we're back in another episode of Line for Line. I have a very legendary young man in the building kicking off our Black History Month for Kenosha. Obviously, this guy has been putting in a lot of work in Kenosha, very legendary, been through highs and lows as well, too, and really has that touching story that can really help people out. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself to the world, young man. Uh, Name is Tony Moore. I'm glad to be here, uh, all by the grace of God, and very thankful for the opportunity to come on and share any history or black history that I can be a part of is is for me is an honor because of my background and the lifestyle. Most people who have went through my lifestyle or had the lifestyle that I had prison and all of the things that I did in Kenosha, um, negatively, I now can give back and um, share the story that it now is a testimony mm-hmm. to overcoming adversity versus staying stuck and back and forth in jail all the rest of my life. Yes, sir. So before we get ready to get started with this episode, just tell people a little bit about you, where you grew up, how you came up, things of uh, that sort. I grew up in the Lincoln neighborhood uh, area and the Columbus Park area, moving from Columbus Park to, to Lincoln. Uh, the journey started in actually in Illinois from Waukegan, and we moved to... Uh, a better place for my folks to get jobs mm-hmm. and make a living for themselves uh, coming out of Alabama. Um, when they moved from Alabama, um, they just were looking for a better place to live. My dad went through all the civil rights uh, hiccups that you can have in life. Uh, mm-hmm. He's seen people hang, uh, seen people come oh, up wow. missing. Uh, he lived in what they call uh, the Bible Belt. Uh, Alabama. Uh, we were three, eight miles from Mississippi, mm-hmm. um, twenty six miles from Mobile and Salem, Alabama. We down there by uh, Birmingham. So that's where a lot of the civil rights stuff were jumping off at early, until till it moved to Memphis and and on to Birmingham and so other other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my dad and them experiencing that. My dad used to share that all the time. Uh, funny story about my dad, when he got here to uh, Kenosha, he was revered because he was a heavyset man, strong as an ox. Uh, they called him Big Rook, and um, he, can, he could do things extraordinary with strength, lift cars by himself. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, put motors in by himself, all, all that kind of stuff. Work construction for 40-some-odd years, uh, carrying forms, uh, using what they call vibrators to build construction sites back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we moved to a place that was the mecca uh, for, even in uh, the Midwest, for shipping. Uh, Kenosha had shipping 
downtown, and all big county ships used to come in, and you could easily get a job on the docks, uh, make some pretty good money, uh, a lot of heavy work, but you could get work. Mm-hmm. And with with shipping and and transport and all of those kind of things back in the day, it brought a lot of crime and vice with it. Mm-hmm. Um, far as guys looking for sexual favors, alcohol, drugs, so forth and so on, uh, it opened up a whole new can of worms for uh, our city. We had our city where I'm at right now with my group home, twenty two seventeen fifty sixth Street, used to have uh, go go clubs all around that area in Kenosha. In Kenosha, oh in Kenosha. wow, there were at least eight or nine in one segregated area. Uh, uptown. Uh, wow. Yeah. And that brought about a lot of vice, a lot of crime, uh, a lot of bad history for Kenosha, uh, with American Motors being right next door. Uh, it, it was just a place to navigate. You had to navigate to find your way. There's no other place I would rather live to grow my kids, raise my kids at, than Kenosha. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good old Kenosha, Wisconsin. So no. when when was it that um basketball came into your life? Basketball has been in my life from the crib. I I ever since I can remember I had a basketball. Mm-hmm. Um I I will I often think back, when was the first time I picked a basketball up? I remember uh in Waukegan being um three years old, remember going to the park right down from where we were living on Oak Street and Trying to shoot basket, I I can remember that back far, and then when I got to Kenosha five and when I was five years old, uh, and going to kindergarten at Columbus Park, I was already sh- spinning the ball on my finger, mm-hmm. uh, practicing, doing those kind of things early in my life because basketball was my escape. I always tell people basketball is my gift that God gave me to make it. If nothing else worked for me, I was gonna make it in basketball, even when things went bad and. And I went to boys' school at 15 years old. I I have won Mr. Basketball. Uh, I went to I went to boys' school at 15. Got a chance to almost play for Marquette. Oh know, wow! Till I didn't go and and start getting high. And that was in ni- the 1976. I graduated high school early because I was a, a good student in prison. So I passed through classes because it's school year round, right? So I have this opportunity to uh, play against two of Marquette's players. They came and did some um, volunteer work there at the boys' school, uh, Butch Lee and Earl Tatum. And I played, and I, I played really well, and they, they were impressed at my skill level. And I guess they talked to, at that time, it was Al McGuire, who was the coach, him and Hank Ramis. And... They t- they checked me out, and my grades, because of the school, D3 school, wasn't uh, D1 level. So I had to go to a JUCO, which was Waukesha Tech, and they were the number one in the nation at the time. Oh, wow. So I had, I had a good thing going on both ends. And lo and behold, I, I, I go for Waukesha Tech, and um, I graduated— um, in 1976, and then in 77, when I, I got kicked out, oh no, discharged, I got discharged out of the prison system. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a juvenile, 
and they sent me home because at a certain age, now you're a grown man, they sent me home. So I did from 15 to 18 in the boys' school and came home. And when I came home, I didn't go back to school because I had nobody making me go back to school because mm-hmm. I was an adult when they should have told me the opportunity or should have been able to Im- impressed on me the opportunity that I was having being able to play for the number one junior college in the nation, uh, Waukesha Tech at that time. And then after my years would have been up at Waukesha Tech, I was transferring to Marquette University. Mm-hmm. And they had just won the the NCAA championship yeah. in 1977. So I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And I was immature, so I couldn't be responsible enough to do it for myself. So yeah. I was still immature. And lo and behold, I goes back to prison. Now I go to men prison. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, four other times after that. And, and cross, uh, from the course of 1979 to uh, ni- uh, 95, I went back and forth to prison or in the county jail or whatever, just doing reckless stuff. Still mm-hmm. in Anything I could do to keep my lifestyle of using alcohol and drugs mm-hmm. going. Paid a, paid a heck of a price for it, too. So over the course of the next um, eight, 23 years, I did 18 years. And then finally, in 1995, facing 40 years um, for burglary and, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff and had— and had a revocation, which means that I had time from other charges still pending. Oh, so I'm God. facing 40 years. And lo and behold, uh, during those brief moments in freedom uh, that I had, I had a daughter. And my daughter, and we were pretty close. Uh, and my sisters always kicked in to take care of my daughter. So she brought her to the prison where I was. And I hadn't seen her in four years. She was eight years old the last time I had seen her. And then when she turned 12, a uh, little lady walking into the prison, my daughter, and it struck it struck me because she said, my daughter told me, she said, Daddy, how come you can't take care of me? Oh, no. Crush me. It crushes me today when I even think about that. A part of the tree, my branch had to tell the tree to grow up and be mature enough to be a tree to teach it to be a branch. And so that she could produce fruit that could be a part of the legacy. Mm-hmm. If I didn't take care of me, there's no way she could ever materialize the things that she needed to do to be the woman she needed to be. And that's what she was asking me. Yeah. So across the history um, from 1995 to today, that's the significant defining moment that made me understand that it was time to change my life. Yes, sir. Now, with you being so deep into the game, you've had the pleasure to see so many different ballers coming up in the Kenosha area. Mm -hmm. Just what are some names out there that you had the chance to see play, maybe mentor, coach, whatever the case may be? Uh, Kenosha, cross Kenosha, almost every one of them. Nick Van Exel being the top one, you know, played against him, coached him, uh, Brandon Moores, uh, Mimi Nelson, Tay Dolly, uh, 
Al Steele, Walter Glass, Myron Glass, Dean Williams, Ethan Moore, Larry Jackson, uh, Cersei Mahone. I mean, there are so many I can I can name. Danny K. Harmon, Ethan Moore, my brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole family was into basketball uh, and good basketball players. I mean, there's uh, I don't know if you Tremper Legend or Joe Merton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Sabansky. Good names. Just I can go go on and on and had an opportunity to see him, play against him, Roddy Dimitris. Just if I I mean, you got some of them ones that coach uh Maneri, Andrew McNary, Keenan, Johnson. I mean, I could just go on and on and on because I go to the park and I played against them when I was playing basketball. So I played basketball in City League for my last game playing City League was at 45. Oh, wow. Age 45. So, <laughs> And I played the top league. I didn't play the down league. I played with son of the best, man. Yes, sir. Uh, son of the best. And a lot of times I hear these these who is the best. And the, you can't just put pick one person and say he was the best person of Kenosha. He wasn't because mm-hmm. the list go on. There's some, there's some guys that – that played early 60s, uh, Ron Lee Hives, uh, Glenn Watkins, uh, Frank Watkins. Uh, just That um, no one really got to see because we didn't have the power of social media, right. YouTube, and camera phones and things like that, I'm pretty sure, right? Right. Now, what would you, what would you say, because obviously you pay it for it now. I see mm-hmm. you coaching that Tremper and everything like that. What would you say was like the best piece? of seeing those people become what they were? Mm-hmm. And how do you implement that into the newer age that you coach? Well, the the main thing about the the Brandon Morses, the Dennis Comins, um, the Tay Dollies, the, the main thing about all the players that I've had a chance to touch was be a man, be responsible, be mature and responsible. So you can't be responsible until you become mature. Basketball requires, if you really want to win, and we have won over 300 championships, thousands and thousands of dollars on the road, and I have always told them that certain things have to come second. Dating when you're on the road. When you're on the road, you want to really let see all the females. You want to see all the sights. But when you come to play basketball, you have to come play basketball. You have to sacrifice something in order to create something for mm-hmm. yourself. So... The thing I have always did was show everybody, and I, to this day I do it, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to find a way to get it done, uh, to own a basketball team like I do now, to own a facility like I'm, I'm trying to figure out the, the language, the knowledge, what it takes to get all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, own homes. I, I found the knowledge of how to own a home, so I bought a home. Found the, found the knowledge how to get rent, rental property. So each level you have to grow and and get into the knowledge, which which always requires a sacrifice. See, a lot of guys want to do all do it all. You can't do it all. Something have to you have to give up something. Mm-hmm. Girls, nightlife, uh, drugs, uh, selling, doing something has to be sacrificed in order for something else to grow. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of players or a lot of people in general have trouble with because the sacrifice. You may have to sacrifice. The hardest thing it ever is your family. Oh my gosh! 
you are saying stuff that is resonating with me very deeply right now, young man. Yeah. This is all about sacrifices, seriously. Yeah. And like I said, if you don't sacrifice something, are you going to get to that next level if you don't sacrifice things? Yeah. So as as we as we sit here and listen to you talk, we hear that you say you've been through the prisons, you've been through the bumps on the head and everything like that. What would be that piece of motivation that you would give to that young man who's at a crossroads, who's stuck in the street life but still trying to juggle playing basketball? You have to realize your love for you. See, a lot a lot of us are indoctrinated with self-hate so much that we rather point fingers at other people for holding us back when it's actually your interpretation and perception of what you're letting hold you back that keeps you from moving forward. Basketball is either you're going to say, I can make it as a coach, player, general manager, owner, whatever, whatever, whatever. You just got to pick and choose what you want to be involved in basketball, and then you give up your time. A player can't last forever. He should know that. Mm-hmm. You, got, you got a window. So your athletic ability to play it, maybe a 10- to 15-year window, if you're lucky, 15, without injuries to the Achilles and knees and so forth, back and so forth, and just your genetic makeup, maybe it ain't in your family where you're a strong body build, even when you're exercising and training. Then you may want to move into coaching or training or owning. There's a lot of different approaches that if you want your passion to come forward that you have to be aware of that I can do I can stay involved with basketball for the rest of my life now as a coach, mm-hmm. which is my life. Yes, sir. Now, what are some things that you that you just take pride in when you see these young athletes out here accomplishing things and you're like, I helped coach them to get to that point, you know? Hard work. Yeah. Hard work. Tell us a little bit about the hard work that hard you see work. that you try to instill in these young players. Every every player every player that I have ever had, and I don't coach Sam Sale. Nick Van Axel, Damon Stoudemire, uh, Jane Posey. Uh, I don't coach pros, and I'll tell you a story. We went to we went to uh, New Orleans uh, to play in a tournament that Nick Van Axel and his crew was trying to win, and they just couldn't because they didn't know how to to tell each other no and rotate and do the things winning. Now, when the first the first time we won our first championship, I told him, I said, don't you understand that everybody y'all playing against wants your reputation? They was out there lollygagging, playing as pros. The game comes easy to a pro. It comes easy, man. These guys, it makes the game look so easy. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him, I said, you're going to have to go back to basics when you was hungry to play this in order for us to win. So what happened, I took my team, half of my team down there, I pulled all the pro professionals, Sam Cassell, Nick Van Axel, Stoudemire, uh, James Posey, Katino uh, Mobley. I pulled them off the yeah. floor. I said, y'all don't want to play. Y'all don't want to win. We w- I come this far to win. So I put in my ballers, the JB, the JB baller team that I had, and we turned the game around. Mm-hmm. And once the pros recognized and respected me for making that hard work move, they went to work. Yeah. They went to work. But the work is the work. The work is necessary for the sacrifice to show. See, the sacrifice won't show unless you put in all the effort you need to make it grow. You, you, if, you don't, if you don't make that work, like get up in the middle of the night. I wrote, I wrote books. I, I, wrote, I brought my books with me. But I wrote books in the middle of the night when I can't sleep. I take that 
time up to either pray or I write books or I write programs or I write whatever it takes, proposals to, to take my life to a new level. You have to put in the work that other people dread. Mm-hmm. Most people are lazy. That's why they can't be successful. They won't push themselves to be everything they need to do, so they'll blame it on having a lack of job or having uh, someone always interfere with their life. Your laziness is what's keeping you from reaching your potential. Mm-hmm. You're taking shortcuts, hoping that somebody come along and lift you up and give you a hand up when all it takes is you to hand your own self up. Man, you in here. Powerful messages right now. As we get ready to close out this amazing episode, sir, what would you say it is that you want to leave behind and that you want to be remembered for when it comes to Kenosha and the name Tony Moore? The hope that is possible. Any and everything that you want to have in your life is possible if you choose to make the right sacrifices to be a to be a millionaire, a zillionaire. It's possible. You just have to do the work and find the resources and the research to make it possible for you to do it. The hope is anything's possible. I'm coming from being shot nine times. I shouldn't be walking, but God allowed me to walk. And in that, in that allowing me to walk, I found out that it's possible to do anything that you want to do. I was holding me back. Nobody else was. I used to talk about coaches or I used to talk about Kenosha police and all Nobody interfered with me being who I needed to be but me. Wow. And it's so hard to see that that self-reflection of yourself that you need to change, you know, because we're often our judgment is often clouded with everything else that's not important, you know. Yes. So we're not yes. being able to see clear and say, you know what, let me let me evaluate myself and take a step back and realize what it is that I need to do instead of just rolling with the flow and say, oh, well, it just happened. So let me just keep letting stuff happen to me. Powerful message is this. There is no one that God has created that he didn't make it potentially capable of them of being a success. You just got to make sure that you step in what God has created for you, yes, your sir. life. Yeah. There's no one that – even you take, you can find some handicapped people in Special Olympics that are being successful at what they're capable of doing. You over here able to walk, talk, walk, and do anything you want to, and you find these excuses not to be successful, that's on you. Man, just like that, we wrapped up an amazing episode of Line for Line. We appreciate you for signing through, sir. Seriously. No, thank you. You calling, are you listening? Tune in every week. Line for Line. Oh, yeah, I'm going Line for Line.